we just put a social media statement, you know, after the Capitol violence that called out white supremacist. Um, that's the first time you've ever heard that from Girls on the Run. Um, for the most part, the response has been, thank you for saying it. But we also have coaches who are saying, why are you getting so political? And I think our response is, because it's an affront to our core values. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Together We Stands. Let's talk about race. I'm your host, Tyrone Irby. For today's episode, we welcome Juliellen Simpson Voss and Ivory Patton of Girls on the Run. Since 1996, Girls on the Run has helped girls activate their limitless potential while also recognizing their personal strengths. Today's conversation will focus on diversity, engagement, and inclusion in the Girls on the Run organization. Juliellen and Ivory, welcome to the show. Hello. It's good to be here. Tell me a little bit about Girls on the Run, how you guys started, and what are the goals for Girls on the Run? So Girls on the Run started in 1996 by um, a woman named Molly Barker. Um, her focus was on just uplifting the girls, keeping them fit through running. Um, girls on the Run really gained traction when a family member of Molly's submitted um, information about Girls on the Run and what Molly was doing to a magazine. And so once that magazine article went out, things just blew up from there. It was Runner's World, I think. Right? Yeah, yeah, Runner's World magazine. Yep. That sounds good. What are the overall goals for Girls on a Run? Overall goals, I would say, I would just bring it back to our mission. Um, you know, we envision a world where every girl can, you know, live out her limitless potential, whatever that means to her. We've got um, three main marathon goals for the organization. Um, right now, the, the focus is really on being an inclusive, relevant, and engaging organization. Um, we also want to make sure that we're a strong and thriving organization. So we, we have councils all over the United States, um, and there's one specifically here in the Triangle. But one of our major um, initiatives is to ensure that council sustainability, that councils have everything they need to build capacity and serve girls across the United States. And then we want to be a knowledgeable and uh, we want we want to be known and we want to have a strong reputation and a strong brand. So those are kind of the three focus areas over the, the, the next three years. Now, Julie Yellen, you've been with Girls on the Run, I know, for 10 years and I've been for about two years. So what are your roles with Girls on the Run? So at Girls on the Run, I am the manager of legal and risk. So that is everything pertaining to contracts, intellectual property, um, geez, policy development, um, compliance, all of those different things. So um, just really essentially creating the infrastructure internally at headquarters to be able to push compliance, policy, um, uniformity, to a certain extent, throughout all of the councils across the country. Sounds good. Julie Ellen? 
I serve as the Vice President for Council Development, um, and I primarily am working with councils in the Southeast region, so from Virginia down to Florida and then over to Texas. Um, and in my role, I really do help ensure those marathon goals that I was telling you about, um, helping uh, lift up our councils, um, working a lot with the boards and the staff, um, doing strategic planning, crisis problem solving, and just being a listening ear. Having come from um, being an executive director, I, I served for 10 years as the um, executive director for Girls on the Run of the Triangle. Um, so it's nice to be able to step into a role now where I can really understand and empathize with council, council directors around the United States. And then another role that Ivory and I share um, is we are co-facilitating the IDEA Commission, which stands for inclusion, diversity, equity, and access. Um, and we'll talk, I'm sure we'll talk more about that, but that's one of the ways that Ivory and I get to work hand in hand together. Okay, that sounds good. Now you guys have different programs for different age levels, I believe, right? Yes. Let's go and talk about that for a little while. Sure, um, well we've got um, a curriculum for, uh, our core curriculum is called Girls on the Run, and that's for girls ages uh, eight to 10, um, and that's elementary school. Um, so that's third through fifth grade, and there are three different versions of the curriculum for girls in that age grade, age range. And then we have a curriculum called Heart and Soul for middle school girls. There's two versions of Heart and Soul. Um, and then we have Camp Goder, which is a camp structure um, that you know can be held during the summertime or it can be held during winter breaks, during spring breaks, um, in community centers, or even after, uh, like in the school setting as well. Okay. I know Girls on a Run has been around since 1996. How large is Girls on a Run in terms of America and in terms of North Carolina? We have councils in all 50 states. We have roughly approximately about 200 councils. So, and there's eight in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Yep, we have eight councils in North Carolina. Okay, that sounds good. Yeah. Now, let's talk a little bit about the diversity of your leadership. Uh, give me an idea about how leadership works in terms of your board of directors and also your staff, um, and how long they've been there. Give me an idea about kind of how they've grown, I guess you might say. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of the HQ team and the HQ staff, um, there's definitely been a focus. We, we, how many staff do we have? Is it like 40? We have about 46. 46, yeah. Um, and growing the diversity of the staff and just, the, just growing the staff in general has been a big endeavor, I think, in the last eight years. You know, when I was a council director for Triangle, I think there might be only... 12 or 15 staff members at HQ. Um, so it's kind of tripled in size over the last seven to 10 years. Um, and with that has been uh, attention and focus on increasing the diversity of and pers perspective of thought in the people that work at headquarters. Um, there, our leadership team is still primarily you know, white women, um, but within the staff, I think we, we have quite a diverse group within the staff. You, not, not quite. <laughs> <laughs> so that being said, what are your strategies for improving diversity? If you're, you're saying that prim primarily uh, the leadership is white, mm -hmm. how do you improve that and how do you improve it to a point where there are different lenses being looked through? So I know the um, 
I know that our hiring process has become more comprehensive just since I've been at Girls on the Run. I know that it's a big initiative that they've been working on. But what I have personally seen is that um, even in the hiring process, um, from what I've observed, the the whole team is involved in the hiring process. It's not just the lens of the um, the hiring manager. It's um, the coworkers. It's um, they kind of segmented out throughout the whole organization. And two, when we're when positions are posted, they are now posting. I don't know if we've always done this, but I know specifically now we're posting to different outlets, more diverse outlets. So we're casting a wider net Good. when it comes to um, what we're looking for. And I have noticed that we in alignment with our mission as far as um, just assuming positive intent and believing in everyone's potential and lifting people up, they're out of the out of the qualified applicants, the qualified candidates, there is there is a focus on, you know, on development and how can this person grow and how can this person shine and how can we tap into this person's talent. So whereas you might have um, let's say someone in We'll take my role, the legal risk role, for example. Uh, I don't think there's too many African-Americans, people of, you know, brown, black, people of color that are applying for that particular position. I do not have a legal background, but the organization saw that with my other experience with the organization, they extended the opportunity to let me try it out, and it worked out well, and it's been great. So... I think girls on the run, when we say we are an equal opportunity employer, we we truly are in that sense. Okay. Well, and I, I'd also say just kind of thinking back in the terms of the culture and how the organization has really tried to embrace idea initiatives, um, I know that just the, the not just um, having more recruitment outlets, but the way that we're recruiting um, and the way that we're asking interview questions and the way that we're setting up positions. So eliminating barriers through position description. So things like requiring certain education or experience, that sort of thing, all that kind of language has been stripped from okay. um, position descriptions. And then really having a focus on an intentional focus on the interview process, um, making sure that positions are posted widely and that it, and they stay open for a long period of time so that we can receive diverse applicants um, and not doing that handpicking of people. Um, and I think because we're a national organization, our, our headquarters, you know, we, we have staff that we hire specifically for the Charlotte organization, uh, you know, and work out of Charlotte, but we're also developing policies for the entire council network. And one of the issues is that we do have, you know, most of our council directors across the United States are also white women um, and our small staff, you know, so there's not a lot of opportunity to potentially hire in more people, but we do have a lot of volunteer opportunities. We do have boards. Um, and so there's a lot of um, focus now on ensuring that we've got diverse representation through volunteer opportunities, through board representation, through our coaching staff. So working on initiatives and strategies to, in, to be more diverse in that way as well. So that being said, what are your measurables? So how do you measure success? Now, I know your new, your updated idea statement started uh, 
July 2020. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. How do you measure success in your goals in terms of diversity? That's a good question. So what we are doing for that is we we have acknowledged as a commission as a whole, as an organization as a whole, that um, every idea benchmark will not necessarily have a metric tied to it. So we're in the process right now of writing up our strategic plan where we will specifically call out certain tactics, certain strategies and initiatives where we can assign accountability metrics. And for those that we cannot assign accountability metrics, let's say they're more relational um, in that aspect, will determine accountability efforts in another way. We do, um, we do have something called key performance indicators, KPIs, um, and those came out in 2017, and there are some diversity metrics that are associated with those, um, and those are standards that we hold all of the councils to. So board and staff diversity is one of the KPIs, um, wanting to be, and when, and when we say diversity, because we do represent the entire United States, we recognize different territories. So diversity in Oklahoma is different than diversity in New York City, right? That was my next question. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, let me just cut you off really yeah. quickly. So how do you determine <clears throat> demographically diversity typically goes based upon your demographics. For instance, Durham, North Carolina is 48% um, diverse, mm -hmm. people, of, people, people of color. Mm -hmm. So would you look to Durham as different than, let's say, Oklahoma, yep. different than New York City, yep. different than California, and how do you put that in place per council? Yeah. So we use the census data and hold councils accountable to the demographics and the census data. Um, and so when they're looking at their KPIs, we have a table that lets them know, okay, here's what the, here's here's the demographics for girls ages eight through 13 in your region, as well as the adults, um, so that we're measuring coach and board and staff demographics that way. And we are, the goal is for councils to strive to be plus or minus 3% of representation of the diversity in their area. And so we do collect demographic data uh, upon registration and when coaches apply. Um, and then we measure that at the end of each season. Um, so like in, in Durham and actually nationally, what we've seen is that from a participant um, point of view, we're actually quite representative of our regions. Um, councils do a really good job of serving the girls that are you know, within the school systems, um, part of community organizations. So we are very representative in the ages eight to 13. Where we, where we have work to do is with the coaches, with the board, and with the staff. Um, that's where we are still predominantly white. Um, and a, a lot of that is because a lot of our coaches are teachers. And we know that a lot of teachers are predominantly white, young white women. Um, and so we have been working on a lot of different strategies. Um, and I think one of the things that has been so neat with the Idea Commission, um, we did 70 or more stakeholder um, interviews and um, learned a lot about new ways that we can look at diversifying mm -hmm. our coaching pool. Do you want to speak to that at all? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that being said, what does Girls on a Run look for in a coach? Now, let's look at it again from different demographics. If you're in California, New York, what have you, what do you look for for that coach uh, and for Durham, North Carolina? Because I would think that age groups, you know, different types of coaches, I'm, I'm going to think. Um, so what 
characteristics are you trying to find for coaches for each council in general? Trying to think how I want to phrase this. Um, well, of course, we have our we have our standard policies. The code they need to be background checked, all those sorts of things. But in alignment with that, we look for qualities in our coaches that align with our core values. So we look for coaches that are living out our core values, that believe in our core values, and that can um, appropriately represent those core values to the girls. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, what? There's not a. And so there's a coach application. Okay. So coaches do need to fill out an application, and then there's a, a program staff person who reviews all the applications, and you know every council is different. So you know we aren't we aren't um, necessarily asking that everybody go through an interview process or that sort of thing. But there is a each council has a way of reviewing the applicants and uh, choosing. And because a lot of our teams come from schools. You know, we know that there are, again, a lot of teachers who are involved who come with developmentally appropriate backgrounds. Um, but then we do have a very rigorous coach training program, and that is definitely something Ivory can speak to because you've done a lot of work in the, the <laughs> in the training piece. Um, we have a it's national coach training. It's standardized um, to ensure that every adult, every junior coach, even 16 to 18-year-old, who gets um, introduced to our program is taught how to implement the program with integrity um, and to ensure that every girl receives, you know, what what we intend for the, the program to provide them. Mm -hmm. And along with that coach training, we have certain modules that have been developed specifically for um, girls of different abilities, girls of different cultural backgrounds. So it's not to necessarily teach each coach, depending on where their background is, um, how to interact with girls that are different than they are, but it's more so to create an awareness that, hey, these girls that you're encountering, they might be different than you are. Here are some things that you need to consider when having these different conversations with them to make sure that, um, that the girls are comfortable and um, our program can still be effective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, um, on top of that, I mean, I think training has really advanced over the last three years in particular. So like, like I said, we have kind of a standardized training to ensure that the curriculum's being implemented as intended, but then we've added on disability mm -hmm. training, we've added on uh, sexual abuse training, we've added on trauma sensitivity training, um, and now we've just added in microaggression training. And so recognizing that the world is ever evolving and that girls are coming with so many different experiences and needs, we want to, um, introduce our coaches to these potential issues um, so that hopefully they're more prepared. But we also know that, that our headquarters can only do so much. The councils, each council in particular needs to know what their needs are, what their girls' needs are, who the experts are in their local community so that they can draw them in and maybe be more tailored to coaches' needs um, within each individual council. And I will add, so along with our just our general HQ structure, we do have regional directors. So there is a regional director that is assigned to each of the four regions of the country. So as councils are encountering um, different issues, questions, ideas about um, recruiting diverse coaches and just having different conversations and things of that nature, they do have a point person at HQ that is specifically assigned to them to help walk them through that process. Okay, that sounds good. 
Give me an idea about how the programs are developed. Let's say, you know, 96, you're looking at 24 years ago. I'm sure the programs were different then than they are now. So what's occurred since then, especially let's look at over the last five years. There's been a lot of things changed in America over the last five years, especially how we treat and, and teach our, our, our young people. Um, what has Girls on a Run done over the last, let's say, five years to update your programming so therefore it's more relevant? So we've been really intentional when it comes to the updating of our um, of our training programs, training programs and just programming in general. And what we've done is there has been extensive research. We have um, contracted out different university contacts to do um, different studies and research. We have implemented different engagement surveys for parents and for community members. We have. Um, um, gone into partnership with different organizations that are specifically geared towards um, diversity. For example, the NICPAD organization. I don't know what that stands for, but but we do have um, partnerships with different organizations. So our the curriculum that is being put in place. Once the curriculum goes out, there are several layers of eyes that have looked at that curriculum, that have vetted that curriculum. And on top of that, we are believers in pilot programs. <laughs> so before any program goes out, that program has been piloted multiple times with various different small groups to make sure that the program has been tested in a controlled environment from the activities to the games to the um, implementation, literally from cradle to grave. And each time that program is piloted, and granted all of this happens in a very, all of this happens very quickly. Once those programs are piloted, we then take that feedback, incorporate that feedback into the next round of pilot. So our programs are constantly under review. And I think one of the things that really elevated our organization was our new, uh, not new, she's the senior VP of programming and evaluation. And she came in with a wealth of experience in youth development and in um, phys like physical activity programming. Um, and that's when the three versions of the curriculum were really updated. Um, so, you know, the Molly Barker's original curriculum really got its overview, like its overhaul when Allie Riley came to the organization. And, and that's when all of this new kind of research and review um, approach kind of came into light. And then we started the Heart and Soul program for middle school kids. Um, so I think the, the point about how are we changing the curriculum to adapt to kids these days, um, I think it's, it's understanding that what kids need, um, the, the underpinnings of what kids need is pretty solid. The ways that we talk about that is what we need to be um, available to opening up. So we have these five C's, um, connection, care, confidence, um, character, and what's the last one? Contribution. Mm -hmm. um, those are the five C's. And so that's what we feel like every kid needs to, every girl, every participant in our program needs to have an opportunity to build confidence, character, connection, um, contribution with people. And so the, the curriculum is designed around allowing girls the opportunity to grow and thrive in those spaces. Um, I think the 
the things that have changed and the things that we're looking at trying to, to change is how do we meet each girl where they're at and how do we have conversations that are really relevant to them so that the curriculum is pretty standard, but when a girl comes and tells you their, her personal experience, um, how do we allow the coaches to feel comfortable enough to, um, to get away from the script of the curriculum right. um, and really feel like they can meet that girl where they're at? Um, and I think those are the spaces where we still have opportunities. Um, but in terms of the, the curriculum itself, I think it's super solid in terms of a developmentally appropriate curriculum. Okay. That was kind of my next question. There will be times, um, and actually, let me ask you this question. How many Title I schools do you guys have um, councils in right now? I would say, I mean, almost every council, every council serves Title I schools. There's, you know, there, we want, we are accessible to all girls, and every council ensures that there are Title I schools that are being served. Um, some councils have more, and some councils have fewer, but every, you know, any Title I school that wants to have Girls on the Run has the opportunity. Now, how are their programs different? Because when you're talking about Title I schools, looking at, um, you might not have enough food throughout the day. You might not have the right shoes, or might have shoes that are not appropriate for running. How does Girls on the Run handle that with specifically these Title I schools? So we do have, um, I don't even know how this is. I know that these are things that we do from a programming perspective. I don't have the knowledge on how they're implemented. But I know that we do have, um, we do give girls shoes. We have a partnership with Adidas so that all the girls have a fresh new pair of Adidas in their size every season. If, it, if they're in need. Yeah. If they're in, I'm glad you said that, Julie. <laughs> if I want a pair too, you know, just give me a pair, you know. Yeah. Hey, I'll help out. Yeah, but there's um, um, the programming that is offered in any place, um, in any territory. There is a sliding payment scale. So the, the cost of the program will vary based on the family and what they're able to pay, if anything. The same thing that goes with our 5Ks. Um, we give the girls water bottles. I mean, we literally, the girls start the season, no matter what their socioeconomic status may be, the girls start the season with everything they need in their little cinch snack, cinch sack. Mm -hmm. So if that's shoes, they have shoes. If it is shirts, we give them program shirts. Um, if it is snacks, we provide snacks, water bottles, all of those different things to make sure that while the girls are in our care for those 90 minutes, that they are equipped um, to be engaged and to not not lack the physical things. Mm -hmm. I think it, it really does. Um, this is a these types of things are really council facing decisions to make um, and dependent a lot on the funding that each council brings in in terms of how much scholarship. Um, money they have available, but every council ensures that any girl who wants to participate can participate. So they figure out a way to do that through grant funding or sponsors or donations. Um, and the same with um, ensuring that they have the proper footwear, like Ivory was saying, sometimes we're providing we have partnerships with um, organizations, again, and with Adidas that can provide sports bras for girls that need them. Um, but I think a lot of it is also the relationships that councils build within their school systems and with community members. So if, you know, when I was the 
uh, council director at Triangle, we didn't necessarily provide snacks for every school. But when we got into the school, we would have a conversation with the social workers there, the teachers there, and find out, is this a school that's in need of it? And if so, what do we need to do to help you do that? So it's not a standardized thing across the board and that from HQ we say this is X, Y, and Z how you do this. It's really about the relationship building and understanding how to get what the, the girls or each site or team might need. Okay, that sounds good. After the program is over, and the programs last for... 12 weeks. 12 weeks. So let's say you guys typically have a 5K in April. After the program is over, how do you follow up with the girls that were in the program for that season until the next season? So you're looking at probably another 12 weeks until next season? Yeah. So you've got 12 weeks in between season one and season two. What are the goals for the girls? One, how do you keep them motivated and involved and excited about Girls in a Run for the next season? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't think there's necessarily a, um, a tactic or a strategy exactly around keeping girls excited or engaged in between seasons. I mean, so between fall season and spring season, um, that's a very short turnaround. Um, and so a lot of that is a lot about the relationships that we build within the schools or the community partners we have to to encourage girls and it, it really is a we put a lot of faith and trust into our coaches and into the site liaisons at the school they're really the representatives for girls on the run and their girls will sign up because their favorite teacher is a coach right, um right. you know and so what we feel like our job is is to really support those coaches and those site liaisons to ensure that they are good representatives of us in their schools and that girls will want to come back season after season for that reason um we also then, we do have, since we have all their contact information, encouraging councils to do more one-on-ones with parents and keep them in, you know, some kind of feedback loop. You, act about, you asked about, um, like, surveys or, you know, how, are, how, how do we get feedback? So there's a lot of surveys of the sites, surveys of the coaches, surveys of the parents that happen in, in between the seasons. Um, and then we're really trying to engage with alumni more um, and kind of almost create kind of a life cycle opportunity for girls. So they might go through heart, uh, Girls on the Run a couple different seasons. Then they might join Heart and Soul when they're a middle schooler. Then when they're in high school, they could become a junior coach. Um, and then after junior coaching and they're in college, they could become a coach themselves. Um, and because, and I think this is one of the ways when we talk about diversity, where we have a lot of opportunity, because our, like I said, our participants are so well representative of the, their communities. If we are able to take a girl from eight years old and keep her engaged, keep her motivated, find those mentors that keep them wanting to come back season after season, and then who, when they're in high school, say, well, I could be a junior coach. My coach was so awesome. I want to do that too. And then they're in college and they have the opportunity to give back. I want to be a coach. Then our coaches are going to be more diverse. Right. You know, 10 years from now, we'll probably have a much more diverse coach base than we started with. So I think that's definitely um, an exciting opportunity. And it'll be really fun to see how the numbers play out for that. We'll be right back. The limited edition Mod 2.23 shirts are now available. The unisex long sleeve Prime East shirts feature the Mod 2.23 logo on the front, and on the back, Nelson Mandela's quote, 
As long as poverty, injustice, and gross inequality persist in our world, none of us can truly rest. Mod 2.23 commemorates the killing of runner Ahmad Arbery on February 23, 2020 in Brunswick, Georgia. Order the shirt, wear it on February 23, 2021, post on social media, and tag Together We Stand NC. You can order the shirt at strongerandfasterdurham.com. Quantities are very limited, so get yours today. Remember Ahmad Arbery. Running should be safe for everyone. So about partnerships. Um, one of the things you've mentioned is you have some significant partnerships. How do partnerships work in terms of corporate versus local? And then locally, how do you decide who would be a good partner for Girls on the Run? You should take this one. <laughs> <laughs> she leads the, the partnership subcommittee on the idea commission. <laughs> um, so I think nationally, the the goal in finding national partners has really been alignment again with our core values and who has a platform that allows Girls on the Run's message to be elevated. So obviously having a partnership with Adidas on a national level is a really strong opportunity for us to get girls what they need as well as if we have Adidas speaking on behalf of Girls on the Run, it speaks highly of our program. Absolutely. on a national level, those are kind of some of the partnerships that we're, um, you know, how we seek out partners are people who align with our core values and can elevate our message and ensure that girls get what they need. On a local level, I think um, this this is the place where we, again, have a lot of opportunities. I mean, and, and nationally, too. You know, we don't have a lot of minority-owned businesses on a national level. That's my next question. Are, yep. Nope. Um, we, we definitely have room to grow both nationally and locally, but I think the strength is locally. Um, And one of the things that we heard in our stakeholder interviews as we are trying to advance our idea initiative is that Girls on the Run has been so focused on just delivering the program in the schools um, and has a very successful, strong relationship with that one-to-one relationship of the organization and schools. But where we're missing our opportunities is how do we build relationships within our communities? How do we actually hear what the experiences are in our community, who the leaders are in the community, what the diverse voices are in the community, how they can support our program, how we can support their program. Um, And so that's where we're going to, I think, put a lot of strategies in the idea like initiatives is encouraging councils to hold more listening sessions to um, understand the makeup of their community first you know identify who the minority owned businesses are that's your first step and then the second step is how do you start building relationships with them how do you bring those people onto your board so that you're hearing those voices you're hearing those concerns you're hearing those experiences and then you know, dollar relationships can grow more authentically out of real genuine personal relationships. So that's definitely a place of opportunity and something that we're going to be uh, encouraging our councils to work toward. That sounds exciting. Um, let's let's uh, talk about your idea statement. Um, I read it. Give me an idea about how it was developed and what are the goals for, let's say, the first year? You're already, already about six months into the first year of the actual program. So tell me about what the goals are for the first year of the program and then moving forward after the first year. 
we're still working on, we're currently still working on the strategy for IDEA. So we have not yet nailed down those particular goals just because we, we want to be very intentional about including those diverse voices and making sure that that it's all inclusive, that it's comprehensive, that it's equitable, that it's all those things that we need for it to be. Having a strategy, a new strategy or an updated strategy that was not in place, let's say, five years ago. How can you get everyone in your organization to embrace the new strategy um, using their own lens, develop the strategy, commit to the strategy, and then also spread the strategy out to everybody else in the organization? Mm -hmm. um, so I think one of the ways that we were trying to be very intentional in doing that was how we built the commission in the first place. So the commission is 17 members that represent the entire national network. Um, and we took applications from all over the United States for people to join the commission. So we had over 60 applicants. Mm -hmm. um, and the commission now, I think, is a beautiful representation of our national network, black, brown, Hispanic, Indian, Muslim, Different gay. age demographics. Yeah, I mean, it, it completely represents um, who we want to be, how, how we want to show up as an organization, um, and who's currently involved in our organization. So we, we received, um, you know, the leadership of the commission is exceptionally diverse. Um, and then from there, we reached out, each commission member reached out to people within their communities to really test what some of our, um, what, we, what we wanted to be a strategic imperative. So if we said, you know, we want to eliminate all barriers for access for girls, um, or, you know, we want to increase the diversity of our coach pool, or we want to increase the diversity of our um, board, or the curriculum is relevant to all girls. So these were some of the statements that we kind of started with. So every IDEA Commission member had interviews with people and tested those statements like so what do you think about like are we representative of our community what do we need to do to be to bring uh, to elevate the diversity of coaches um, so we got feedback from the community and then we developed the strength and the imperatives out of that so when ivory was saying we're still kind of in the development stage of it i think um, i think we've got the imperatives that we want now you were talking about how do you get people to commit to it. Um, and I think the commitment level comes from the fact that we now have, we've got council, some councils who are doing this work really well. Girls on the Run Twin Cities, Girls on the Run Atlanta, Girls on the Run Snohomish County, which is in Washington. Um, these are council directors who have embraced this um, initiative a long, long time ago and have been building their councils um, with this in, intention in mind. So that we've got leader councils that other councils can look to who are doing this well. Now that we've got IDEA commission members all across the United States, that has widened that representation. The, the imperatives are, might seem, I don't wanna use the word generic because that dumbs them down a little bit, but I think the imperatives are, um, they, they leave, the imperatives, they're, they're, they're high level enough to where they leave room. Right. They leave room for, for growth. They leave room for evolution as things constantly change. And they also leave room for councils to um, 
implement each strategic imperative in a manner that not only fits their community, but also is a way where it kind of phases phases that imperative in in a manner that it can be received. Mm -hmm. So the community, the coaches, the girls, the participants, everybody, so they're not shell-shocked and turned off because Girls on the Run is has now all of a sudden has this voice that is so much stronger than it has ever been um, realized before by certain communities. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think the we're trying to send a strong message. Um, we're trying to use language that we've not used before. Um, so we want all councils to know, like, this is on the table. This is something we believe in. And we expect you all to rise up and embrace it. But we know that you're all going to be at different places in how you're able to execute on it. And in order to, and we want to help and support you along the way. So a Twin Cities is going to look at our strategic imperatives and they're going to say like, okay, we've already accomplished these five things, but we've got goals, like bigger goals, and we're going to set our sights on these things. Whereas, you know, one of our other smaller, more rural councils might be like, okay, we've got to start with diversifying our board because we don't, we only have six board members and they're all white women and that's where we need to start. Um, so it's really giving them kind of the stepping stone opportunity um, to grow with and to see what the benefits are. That's the other thing is like, you're not going to get buy-in mm -hmm. from people unless they recognize like diverse per perspective of thought is good for our organization. It's good for our business. It's good for, you know, for our girls. It's the only way that we're really going to stay relevant and have and be sustainable. Okay. So that being said, now if, if I'm starting a council, if I can have Ivory and Julie Ellen come and train me, I'm good to go. If you can clone yourselves 213 times for every council in America, you're good to go. Based upon our conversation today, there's a lot of passion in both of you. Now, one of the things that I see from Girls in a Run, if you want to be a coach or a leader or a girl or a parent, there has to be passion within that organization. How do you develop passion for diversity, engagement, inclusion in every single council member? Now, I say that because of the fact that what I'm seeing from a lot of franchises, and even though you're not considered a franchise, if one franchise does one thing incorrect, the entire franchise suffers. If, let's say, I have a bad experience at one franchise's store, I think every store of that franchise is the same way. And until they put me differently, that's what I'm going to assume. So as Girls in a Run, is there a training module to go into some of the rural councils um, and train them on how to implement everything you guys have put into play. So I think the, the training modules that we have alluded to, you know, I think stand, we do have standardized training modules that are touching on microaggressions, cultural sensitivity, you know, those sorts of things. Um, but I think what you're getting at is really a culture type of a thing. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And so I think that that is definitely what is being, what is emerging through our organization. And I think kind of our, our response in the last six to nine months mm -hmm. has really brought that to light. Um, you know, 
be, because Girls on the Run has always had an eye toward access and inclusion, like I said, we started this work, you know, five years ago. This isn't, whereas I think a lot, you know, we all know that there have been big corporations and businesses that are kind of jumping on the bandwagon over the last six months because of what has happened. Girls on the Run is not one of those organizations not to say that we don't have a lot of work to do, but it has been part of who we are and what we do for years. But I don't think we have been as strong in our messaging, um, and I don't think we have given, empowered our councils to feel like this is a message that they can take on as well. And so I think that's where a lot of our growing pains have been in the last six to nine months is, okay, these are words we believe, and these are words we wanna use, but how do we put out a statement that doesn't disrupt the councils right. that aren't that far along, but that brings them along with us, you know? And so there has been a lot of testing of mm -hmm. the waters, I think. Um, it's like, okay, we're gonna use this word. What's the feedback? You know, we, ha we just put a social media statement, you know, after the Capitol violence that called out white supremacist. Mm -hmm. um, that's the first time you've ever heard that from Girls on the Run. Um, for the most part, the response has been, thank you for saying it, and, you know, we want, you know, we stand behind you, but we also have coaches who are saying, why are you getting so political? Why are you entering the fray? I'm just here for the girls. Mm -hmm. This is just, it's about, it's supposed to be just for the girls. Why are you doing, you know, why are you saying this? Why are you making it, you know, divisive? Um, and I think our response is, because it's an affront to our core values, you know, it's, it, it limits access. We want all girls to participate in this program. We, we believe all girls have the right to feel heard and to, to achieve their limitless potential. Stand and up for themselves. Stand up, yep, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so if there's any barrier that keeps them from doing that, white supremacists, <laughs> then we need to call that out. Um, but it's definitely, it's, it's ruffled feathers, um, but we're trying to give the language that allows councils the comfort level to, to speak it themselves. Mm -hmm. Well, that was very well said. And I, I tell you, I'll tell you what, I commend you for making that statement because not a lot of organizations would do that and put themselves as a target for other people. Um, and I think statements like that, you will have some people that don't like it. Mm -hmm. It is what it is. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important to make sure people understand what your core values are. Mm -hmm. Um, and I appreciate you doing that. Mm -hmm. yeah. What would you like to say ending about Girls on a Run now and the future? What's the future for Girls on a Run from this point forward? I would say that Girls on the Run is, um, even though we have done idea work in the past, like pre-before pre my employment at Girls on the Run, I envision, I still think that Girls on the Run is embarking upon uncharted territory. Not because this work is something new that we've never done, because we're doing this work in a new way. Mm -hmm. I think we're coming out stronger. I think we're coming out bolder. I think that we are, um, going back to what Julie Ellen was saying, not just talking about our core values and, you know, keeping it very soft and very... Yeah, very positive and fluff. Mm -hmm. I think now Girls on the Run is on track to um, 
to just walking the talk. What does it mean when we say stand up for ourselves and stand up for others? What does that mean? Well, that means calling out white supremacy. That means calling out racism. That means um, when coaches go to council directors and they have a problem with um, images of black girls that we post on our social media, that the response to that is the change that you're seeing in the future is the council director to say, well, maybe this isn't the organization for you. There you go. Because these are our core values and this this is this is who we are. And if that's not who you are, I'm sorry. So I think um I think Girls on the Run is really Girls on the Run is putting their money where their mouth is, I think, in in lots of different areas. I think it's going to take us time to get there, to really get there. And I think um even within my own community, within black and brown um folks, I think that I think that the changes that we're going to see, um, they, they might be a little bit slower than, than, than others would like, but change is here, change is going, and um, we're going to keep the girls at the center, all girls at the center. Yeah, I think one of the things that we talk a lot about with the Idea Commission, um, we, we get together three times a month. We have open house hours where we just, because... Six months ago, these 17 people didn't know each other. We're from all across the United States, like I said, all different backgrounds. Um, and so in order to understand each other better, we've been having these um, open house hours. And one of the things we've been talking about is, um, like, one of the um, kind of pillars of, not white supremacy, because I, I don't want to use it that, but one of the pillars of whiteness is perfection. Um, and Girls on the Run... Ha and, and this positivity, um, like wanting to always present yourself as fully formed, fully baked, and like we, we know what we want to say, um, and recognizing that, like Ivory was saying, we want to change, we're working toward change, but we're going to stumble along the way. And so recognizing that we're, we're going to have a lot of uncomfortable conversations, we're going to have a lot of uncomfortable moments. And one of our lessons talks about there's no good or bad feelings, there's just feelings. Um, and sometimes they can be uncomfortable or comfortable. Um, and so we really have to live into that space where I think one of the ways that Girls on the Run is going to be different is that we're going to be in discomfort more in the next couple years. But I think because we have core values that really... Um, try to create a safe space and we do assume positive intent. We do embrace our differences and celebrate our connectedness. So we have the right space to have these conversations. We just need to give it time. We need to give each other grace um, in doing so. And we need to be brave to show up to the conversation. That sounds great. Ladies, thank you for coming on uh, Together We Stands. Let's talk about race. Let me say this as a minority owned business based in Durham. We would love to partner with Girls on the Run. My wife, Crystal, is a former coach for your council at Merrick Moore Elementary School in Durham. I absolutely believe in your mission and you guys have a great plan in place to achieve your goals. Yeah. Well, thank, thank you. you. Thank you, ladies. Have a great day. Thanks, thank Tyrell. Thank you for listening to this month's episode of Together We Stands. Let's talk about race. Thank you, Julie Ellen and Ivory, for your time today. Tune in next month for our next episode. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook 
at Together We Stand NC. Let's talk about race is developed and produced by Together We Stand NC in Durham, North Carolina. Our audio engineer and composer is Chris Fitzgerald. 